Hello and welcome back to Tough Rugby Podcast. Please do announce, got the usual man in the studio, RV Pardreter. And all you fans will be pleased to know, Zachary Hutchison, you're back, son. It's good to have you. I'm back. It's good to be back. Um, felt weird not having the pod last week, you know, it just felt felt empty. My life feel, felt empty, but I'm back. Um, I'm just excited to be here, especially after this weekend's rugby. It's going to be it's gonna be a cracking pod. Um, so keep listening to all you listeners out there. <laughs> nah, social media is a weird place when when someone's not there one week they think it's immediately beef, but there's no beef. We're all we're all good in the pod. We're, yeah, yeah. we're family. We're all, I think we need to put the rivers to bed. There is no beef. Um, we love Zach. And Zach off, yeah. is getting paid as much as he wants. It is fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, that like we're getting paid anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a rumor start. Anyway, we'll get we'll get you in the rugby. We've got so much to cover this week. Um, just in some terms of some news, um, Lions Tour's been announced that's going ahead in South Africa, but no actual clarification would there be fans or not. I think that's more of um get close to the time and see what the restrictions are. If there is no fans, do you think that's the right decision or not? Ooh, to be honest, you could probably dedicate a whole podcast to this is because there's so many things at play like is the lions all about the touring um which is probably the main decision they've gone with because if it is about the touring then you need to tour um but is is the lions all about the fans because if it's all about the fans then maybe this isn't the right decision but yeah um it's one of those things it's so up in the air at the moment we probably won't really find out more till near the time probably end of april i would say yeah Um, i think i think we just have to leave it and then once we fully know will there be fans and what the bubbling and stuff will be is when you can criticise it. But at least positively, it's going ahead. We're having a Lions tour. All these Lions previews, all these teams that we're throwing out there, they're going to be there. So that's great in terms of boys like Alan Jones and Sexton, they can't afford another year. But the way both of them are going, we'll get onto it later, probably can't afford to wait another year. But it's great news for Lions fans that it's going ahead and we all need to be getting our jerseys. A uh, bit of transfer news as well. Freddie Burns coming back to Leicester Tigers. Had one year over in Japan. I feel a bit sorry for Freddie. He's been very unfairly treated at his previous clubs. I remember him telling the story that he wasn't informed about a new signing and they literally told you, yeah, we've just signed Reese Priestland. Um, you're going to be playing fullback and didn't really give him a, much of a heads up. So mm-hmm. I like how he's going to go there. He knows that... He's going to be playing 10, really, when George Ford's away with England so much. And very good 10 to have. And Leicester Tigers are going in a good direction. They've kind of got the club back on the straight and narrow, which is great to see. It was great to see. And then the other one, Zach, Danny Cipriani coming in. I, I know Sips. you're 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 liking the whole apprenticeship Orlando. thing that he's coming in and doing. Yeah, he's um Orlando Bailey, this 19-year-old Bath, seems to be really keen on. So they're... um. So and he's played he played against Worcester there recently, um. So I mean he's he's kind of so he he seems to be the future for Bath. So Bath, I think it's a great call. It's a great it's a great model. I think you bring in an older player to kind of kind of coach and nurture the the younger player essentially. Um, and Danny Cipriani has so much experience. Yes, maybe not international experience, but man, he's been everywhere. So I think it's a great it's a great signing for Bath as well. And you know. You'll still get the best out of Danny Cipriani next year, I think. So, yeah. nah, the the English tens are crazy at the minute. In terms of the young ones, your Umangas, Smiths, Joe Simmons, and then you've got the more experienced Farrell, Ford, 
burn Cipriani. It really is crazy the depth that that's around the Premiership in the yeah, ten channel. But yeah, I'm really happy to see Cipriani back. I know he just took a bit of time to get himself get himself right there. I don't think he was loving it as much, but it's great to see him back in the Prem because you know shame to see him go to Japan and kind of lose him. So great to see him, and you never know. We'll get on to Eddie later, but might not be too late for him. <laughs> but we'll start with the Scotland and Italy. Went went as expected. Another cricket score. So Italy got destroyed in every single game in the Six Nations. The only game that they actually looked like starting pretty decent was England, which is funny. But um, everyone else put them away pretty early on and there was zero sniff of anything. And same with Scotland. I thought maybe this could be one that they could go after, but no, nah, fair play Scotland. Standout was Duham van der Merve. Is that him? Definitely Lions now, I think. He's done enough to show that. He's top, he's top four or five back three players. I think yeah, it's... Like, uh, yeah. I was going to say that. Um, there's no doubt. I think you you were speaking about it at the time, Telf, when the game was going on. He had some crazy stat about the amount of tackles he avoided. It was like 18 or something or other. Bounced 18 different... Not 18 different players, but 18 different occasions, um, which is just crazy no matter who you're playing. Um, I'm still yet to see anything impressive, I think, from him playing against... You know, consistently, I guess I can say. Um, but no doubt what he's got, you know, the train is there. And that's kind of that ability that not a lot of people have. And he seems to have that instinct and that mentality to go alongside it. So, yeah, I think you're definitely on the right track, Stelf. I think he's he's definitely going to be up there for them and for line selection. I think he just offers something that all the other wingers do offer, just that ability to get over the game line with minimal kind of run-up. Literally just give him the ball and he'll get you over the game line, even if he hasn't got much place to man- like space to maneuver with. And yeah, he was he was outstanding, as was Hamish Watson, another one that kind of nailed himself on a fail. Hamish Watson was outstanding. But the what didn't work for me was Hog at ten. It just lacked a bit of yeah flow. And when he went off and Van der Volt came on at 10 and Hogg went 15. That's kind of when the scoreboard started to increase a lot, which was no, was just no real surprise because Hogg needs to be at fullback. He's not a 10. Uh, yeah, like he's he's a world-class fullback and you just got to play, play him where he's good at. You know what I mean? Like similar analogy, Liverpool, you know, just play Fabinho as a CDM because that's play centre-backs to centre-backs and midfielders as midfielders, you know. Um, obviously, the question would have been if he would have started with an actual 10 and kept Hogg at full-back, would it have been an even bigger score? Um, because I, like, I think in credit to Italy, they did come out in the first kind of 20, 15, 20 minutes. You're like, this is going to be a tough game. And then obviously, um, it's Italy. So they just then... Their queue around twenty minutes is just to capitulate. <laughs> like it was I'll be honest, wild. I I'm not giving them any credit. The whole Six Nations. I'm not saying young side <laughs> they're gonna get good. I think Garbisi is erratic. Is the thing for me with Garbisi is you two can hit a drop like you can drop kick it from the start and keep it in the pitch. He's done that twice now at an international level. I don't care what your age is, what your potential is. That's like we're talking nuts and bolts to the maximum there. That's a mm. joke. He literally shanked it out. Shanked it. 
Zach was the king of hang time from restarts. Like he, he knows more about me. <laughs> it, it, it's a tough, it's a tough skill to master, it's a skill. but it's a skill. not oh, out in the fill is inexcusable. It is, and like it's, it's, it kills all momentum that you may have had going into the game. You know, opening drop kick or, yeah, it's just not. Yeah, like I, it was one of my pet hates as a kind of in school, like just no matter what you didn't because you'd much rather you know it be 15 meters in the field rather than going out in the full like he he seems they're gonna go a kind of young immaturity they were talking about with his kicking you know like i think you see it as well with his drop kicking it's just play it play it a bit safer you know you don't have to go down the five meter channel from a restart every single time because if you're not that good enough, you're just going to hit it out in the full. And like that gives all momentum to Scotland. And especially after you're coming off the back of them scoring a try, the last thing you want is to give them more, um, give them more momentum. So uh, yeah, Italy just annoy me. I think now is the time where we need to have a serious conversation about playoff. Um, not a direct relegation, but I think there needs to be a playoff so Italy can go play Georgia and then they can put their critics to bed by th- yeah, Georgia, and then if Garbisi tears up in that game, I'm like, you know what, you're good enough to be Italy 10 back in the minute. I'd like to see the Zebra 10 played really well against Ulster, and he's young. Um, I think there's definitely areas there that aren't nailed on. Um, like, and some of the young players maybe aren't as good as people are making them out. Um, here's, here's a question for you off the back of now five games. Italy have played. Do you think you guys have seen the direction Italy are going, the style of rugby they're trying to play, or you haven't seen enough and it's just? I think it's it's obviously incredibly hard for them because any kind of coach or team trying to implement some sort of strategy, when you when you only get the ball as much as they do, and when you are getting the ball, you're under such immense pressure because ultimately you are playing teams that are two, three, four, five, and on so on times better than you. It's going to be hard for you to implement, you know. And that's where your argument, um, Zach. As much as we say, you know, potentially Italy, like me and Telv mentioned last week, Italy are in this weird space where they're kind of a lot better than the teams below them, but they're nowhere near as good as the teams above them. Putting them into a into a some sort of phase or group stage where they can play against teams that they are noticeably better than gives them a chance to actually practice some of this stuff. And if you you know that confidence, yeah, it might not be directly replicated in a game like against Scotland, but it gives them a chance to actually try something that's not just on the training pitch. It's got a direct implication on the way Italy are going. So even if you know they only get to do it every four years in the World Cup, and that's usually against the bottom seeded team. That's it. And that's the only chance they ever get where they are expected to win that game. Maybe that's what they need. A, a run of games where they can just, you know what, we're Italy, build the confidence, give them a chance to actually experiment and come up with these things. Because ultimately, in professional competitive games, they've got hardly any chance to actually try anything. Mm. Because they, they get the ball for two, three, four, five phases, expected to do something with the ball, and then that's it, back on the defence. It's just, yeah, it's, uh, I, think I think it's tough. I think... Italy don't deserve airtime here. So, um, but for me, Georgia, as you said, I think it's 16 in a row now they've won um, against kind of in the kind of second tier leagues and the second tier um, competition. So they do deserve kind of a playoff game just to prove, prove, give them opportunity because they're too good for that. Italy are too bad. But at the end of the day, the only reason Italy are in the Six Nations is because. Stad Olimpico, massive big stadium. Everyone wants to go to Rome. 
eat their pizzas, drink their wine, big moneymaker for the Six Nations. <laughs> that's it. That's the only reason. And yeah. Italy, next year, I want to see something from you. Moving on to a team that probably was marginally better than Italy, the Six Nations. Um, <laughs> they are fifth on the table and really, really struggling to find some form. <laughs> we thought they'd find it, but Ireland... Huge wins, Zach. Can I, can I can I just mention quickly? Uh, let's be glad this is an audio only podcast. Yeah, you won't so want to see the, what I was just doing on the webcam. Listeners out there, Harvey is um, yeah. But anyway, move on, we'll Tom. Carry we'll on with what you were saying. We'll say nothing. Um, big win for Ireland. Big performance, Zach. And can we actually be positive today? Can we say Andy Farrell three wins in a row? taking us in the right direction or are you still sitting on the fence? You know what? I'll, I'm going to eat a wee bit of my humble pie. Um, you know what? That was a good performance from Ireland. It was, it was dominant. It was strong. It was, it was, it was a great, it was a, it was a good solid performance. You see some real standout performers, tag burn, people like that, who, you know, if anything, Lions jerseys could well have been given out at the end of that game. Some of the boys in green, um, the in kind of the ingenuity to think of the line out Keith Earls's try, um, things like that. Like, you know what? It's kind of they, they seem like a team going in the right direction. Um, for once. Probably the first time in the Six Nations. Yes, it's been three wins in a row, but I think this win was the one that made me sit up and be like, hmm, fair enough. Johnny what Sexton. Johnny yeah, Sexton knows Sexton. he said that it was he every kind of interview did he said we're nearly clicking we're just we're gonna click soon and he was like we're in training we're good it's not coming on the game scotland we just didn't click italy we started to click we were we few things fell off in that france game but we were nearly there he said it'll just take one game until we do click and he was spot on we should have listened to him and they did click you think what you think about the sorry karen zach i'll say in a sec No, no no yeah i was just gonna say like yeah like i'll i'll happily sit here and be like actually you know what I've been really harsh on Ireland this past Six Nations campaign. Um, earlier games, I just we saw nothing. You know, we've you know we've ranted on this pod about it, but to be fair, like to be fair to them, they played really well against England. Um, but then again, we're also I don't know the pessimist in me is like they're playing against probably one of the worst English sides in years. Um, so does that? No, we'll be talking about both sides. I think how bad England are as well, and that is very true. I want to say um, I think that's the best performance I've seen from an Irish team since 2018. I think that was, wow. I, th- I honestly think yeah. it was an incredible performance. Don't get me wrong, and we'll get onto it, like you said, Tolf. England was shocking. England was shocking. But as much as you can say, you know, Ireland pulled out all the stops tactically and everything, and, you know, the Keith Earls try is a prime example of that. That was clearly from the training ground, and it worked to perfection for them. Um but there's no doubt that a 23-phase attack that ends in a try with Jack Conan is a fluke. That's not a fluke whatsoever. Mm. That is just well-drilled. That is what you want to see for the long term. That's not just always one good performance. That kind of stuff in a game only comes if you as a team are starting to, like Johnny Sexton said, gel and start to thingy, you know, come together. And if you want to relate it to you know, him, Andy Farrell and Wayne Pivak have had, what, similar time in the chair. Um, and you can argue that Wales kind of peaked at the perfect time, but you never know where this goes from for Ireland. It only takes them to have yeah. peaked three, four games later than what Wales did, and you could be at their level in six, seven, and, eight months' time anyway. And you're seeing players now really enter into their prime. 
Tad Burn being the prime example, like really kind of prime time player at the moment. Going, he's going to South Africa for me personally. He has to go. Um, you're seeing younger players come through. Your boy Conan. You also, I know Will Connors wasn't playing, but you got someone like Will Connors coming through. Um, even like Hugo Keenan in the backs. My only concern is, and I'm, I'm a broken record, like, but nine and ten, just there needs to be a bit more kind of youth coming through. I'm not saying, and to be honest, Johnny Saxon proves that he is an unbelievable world class player, um, and he and he is. He's incredible. Past few weeks have shown that just a bottle. If anything, he puts his hand up for selection for the for Warren Gatlin. You know, you need a you need you need a ten who's gonna give you ninety five percent kicking accuracy, and he gives you that. Um, but they're just like Billy Burns is not the answer to Saxton when he goes. Um, it, it, and- it showed when he doesn't bring Billy on at all ever. And I know Billy didn't even get on the bench in the end. But Ross Byrne did because Billy got injured, and Ross Byrne didn't get on. He doesn't trust below Sexton and Joey's back Joey's tearing up um, we'll chat about the Pro 14 final right at the end Leinster Monster I'm sure we're having Joey V probably Ross Byrne I don't think you can play Sexton again but yeah. I think which would be, be fascinating because if if Joey puts in a massive performance in a big game like a, like a, like a Pro, well, Pro 14 final maybe it's not a, <laughs> a big game but it's, it's a it's a big it's, game it's a big game for Monster Leinster bragging rights yeah, it's, it's no a big doubt game. that's it's a, a big huge game for, final it's a big game within the context of probably of Ireland you know, and, and especially it's been, if Joey it's been a decade since a Monster Leinster final, so it, really, it's been that big. long. So there you go. So Joey Garber has a big game. Then I think yeah, if, if Ireland can just nail really good, strong nine and ten replacements on the bench, um, I think we have a real potential for a crack inside. Because um, I think I was going to say there as well. As much as we do bang on a lot about how the 9 and 10 are aging and potentially refreshments need to come in sooner rather than later. If we do want to look at it specifically from a cycle point of view, we're halfway through one already. Johnny Sexton doesn't go a sentence, let alone an interview, without talking about his Lions aspirations and his World Cup aspirations. He wouldn't be saying this if he didn't believe in himself. And ultimately, when you get to that age, no one can tell you what to do and apart from yourself. And if he's sitting there thinking, with the way I'm going, with the regime I'm doing, with the amount of games I'm playing, I'm solid for the World Cup. You have to back him in a way, and 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 yeah. no, don't get me wrong. I don't think he did much, if anything, in that Six Nations to say that he doesn't deserve that ten spot at the moment. I thought he yeah. played really, yeah. really well. And Conor Murray against England, one of our one of our key defensive points for England, that's been a slight positive, which isn't even a positive because it's mainly down to chance. It's been our charge down game, particularly with Maratoji off the ruck. Conor Murray was as always, one of the best box kickers I've seen. And it just, it helped you guys so much. The exit was clear. It was obvious. It was simple every time. Didn't overcomplicate a thing. And that from a nine is what sometimes all you need. And I think that's what Ireland did need. And I think it's what they got. At the end of the day, they're two, yeah. two double Lions, world-class players. And world-class players step up in the biggest of games. And they both stepped up. And that's why probably the both are going to go in the Lions here because they do that. And I think, Zach, you've hit the nail on the head. The We just need to have their understudies on the bench and coming on like Sheedy. Like, yeah. Wales have it perfect at the minute. You know Sheedy's number two, but you know he's not quite damn bigger yet. But Doing he's, his apprenticeship. He's, he's still, he's still he's coming there. on 10 minutes to go for Grand Slam at stake because he's need... trusted. Yeah. And I've seen it with Munster in the Claremont game where... 
Monster beating Claremont with like 10 minutes to go. I'm not sure when Keyes came on, but he definitely came on within the, within the last 10, if not earlier. And they brought Murray off and brought Casey on when they had a chance of winning in Claremont. So clearly, Van Graa at Monster trusts Casey. And I just hope Farrell gets to a stage, if it's Gibson Park, if it's Casey, that he brings them on because he didn't bring Sexton and Murray off. And both have shown they are injury prone. They probably can't do, for example, a full World Cup from first pull match to the final without picking up some sort of niggle. And you don't want, like 2015, where he had Ian Madigan with not much experience, who did very well, obviously, but not not having many caps, having to run the whole ship. So hopefully it's Joey. Hopefully it's Casey. That's the two I want, the monster halfbacks. And hopefully Casey can go back now for monster and really be pushing Murray and at Leinster kind of Harry and Ross be push, pushing Johnny, but just more in terms of the game itself. Someone that we're talking about here, Sexton Murray, someone that is underrated or kind of maybe not get the credit he deserves is Keith Earls. Keith Earls has been outstanding this whole Six Nations and you don't notice him because he doesn't make errors. You notice Jacob Stockdale going for an intercept and missing it. You notice James Lowe shooting up and missing it and a try being scored. You never have that problem with Keith Earls and he's proven that he's still a lethal finisher. That second try should have been a try as well if if he didn't knock it on, but take nothing away from the finish, world class. Just to try itself, like that, that is a great finish from a great player. And Zach, why is he not kind of talked about within Irish greats? Like coming up to 100 caps, it's, second top yeah, prize score of all time. It's, it, yeah, he's a, he's a bit of an enigma. I think um, you could maybe argue the Irish great wingers through the years had massive moments. Um, Tommy Bow, for example, 2009 Grand Slam, the chip in the chip from O'Gara, it was kind of like Crossfield kick, it was like half, it was kind of half in between the two. Um, that moment Tommy Bow scored, Tommy Bow kind of put himself in the, the history books as one of the great Ireland wingers. Um, you know, you could you could somehow argue a similar thing to maybe Trimble, Andrew Trimble. Um, kind of didn't really make much errors, but didn't really have the flair, didn't have the big moments. So I think maybe that's maybe part of it. When you look back in Keith Earls' career, he's just a solid, he's just a James Milner. Like we say it on this pod time and time again, he's just a James Milner. He just does the simple things really, really well. Um, gets the caps, gets the tries, but there's no real, you know, expert. Well, for ex- for aspiring professional rugby players, do you look at someone like Keith Earls and want to be Keith Earls? I think. Or do you I look at someone like James Lowe and Jacob Stockdale? Like, who should you be looking up to? Because in my opinion, you should be looking up to Earls over yeah. them. I think that that's probably the main conversation that probably needs to be had. You know, that kind of, what has Keith Earls brought to the Irish setup? What culture has he tried to implement? And then we should really, we need to kind of model that and copy that because that's the sort of rugby players you want. At the end of the day, it's just, it's all about getting the rugby players that win you games and can consistently play well. And that's what Keith Earls does. You know, Scott, Dale, fair enough, we'll remember him for the rest of his life because of his chip and chase and score against New Zealand. And then also in England too, once again, big game moments. And you remember him for it. But at the same time, he's not playing well at the moment. Um, and he's really struggled over the past couple of years. And if he doesn't turn it around, goodbye green jersey for probably the rest of his life, you know. But you look at Keith Earls and just time and time again, 
She's constantly in Six Nations squads, constantly in World Cup squads. Um, caps don't lie. Caps don't lie, and he needs he needs the recognition. He deserves that from us. Um, so Keith, if you're listening, good job, mate. We love you. You've done a cracking job, and hopefully you get hundred caps easy. No, he'll he'll get there easy. Maybe meet one ten at this rate. A few of them as well. Six is on ninety nine now, so a lot of them kind of that generation. The what I call it, like the Peter Romani, the Keen Healy, Peter Romani, Keith Earls, Johnny Six, and that kind of era are all in around hundred caps, and I think they'll all hit it. Maybe a manic might come up short, but you can never rely on Big P. He, he'll always come back. But for me, just finishing on how good Ireland were, you can all give credit to Andy Farrell as well. He set up Ireland in a way where, they, where the last few times he played England, they've got bullied. They haven't been big enough, but Andy Farrell came with a strategy where he was kind of thinking about how we could be more clever than England, how we could get around beating these bigger sides that will just bully us. And you've seen it with the line out. You've seen it with playing Keith Earls in at first receiver to then have Sexton out in the outer channel so he can kind of hit that like kind of sweeper kick where he's putting Earl, um, where he's putting Keenan one-on-one up, up against um, Daly. So he's clearly, like, the tries to be scored really well worked, really in-depth, and he didn't just go right, CJ, carry hard, Conan, run hard at them. He was smart, Andy Farrell, and fair play, Andy. You're a new coach. You're going to take time. You've never been a head coach before, and it is positives. But, Harvey, we're not going to avoid it forever. I just want to say one, one last thing on Ireland as well. Um, Andy Farrell is a defence coach. Uh, that kind of pod-like defensive structure that Ireland had, I thought was incredible. The choke tackle, I think, was your key choke arsenal tackle. in defence. It's back, man. It's back the choke, were, I know Ireland are you know, the inventors of the thing, but you really put that to the... To the muscle against us, and he needs more of that. You talk about you talk about bigger defense and bigger teams in general. That is just a counter in all senses of it. That was, it was like you said, it was incredible maturity, wits, and everything from Ireland. It was an incredible game from them. I you've have to, that, I have to give that, that to you guys. You call that Mourinho masterclass? Um, if it was in football concept, and it was an Andy Farrell masterclass. But we've said it before. Was. It was a very poor English side. You didn't do it kind of on the big stage where you're playing a world-class informed side. And Harvey, a review now is in place for Eddie Jones. The RFU have come out and said they were going to review his performance and make a decision now. Um, yep. Probably will back him. Let's be serious. I don't. I think it'd be rash. But how close... Unless they have a direct recipient to take his job, I don't think they'll know, let him go. I know that Exeter have come out and said... You're not allowed to approach Rob Baxter. Rob Baxter, <laughs> Rob Baxter, staying. Classic Exeter, honestly. Whinging kids. If you're an Exeter fan out there, I'm sorry, but you annoy me. Um, how far? How? What questions would you like to be asked now to Eddie? Because he's gonna have. To, they're gonna have to say, "Look, we want Marcus Smith in the squad. We want Simmons in the squad. Are you gonna do it? And if not, you're gone." It's it's not as black and white as that. You don't just go, do you like these boys? No, okay, yeah, they're better than you. See you later. <laughs> yeah, it's, get out. <laughs> yeah, it's, more, it's more than What's that. strategy? Is yeah. he going to evolve? It's the question. You've, you've, I mean, kind of got to, you've kind of got to keep it open-ended with him. And it's one of those where, obviously, if this goes well for England, we're not questioning a single one of his selection choices apart from George Martin. <laughs> I'm only messing. George Martin's a good lad. But, um, <laughs> yeah, just a running joke there. Um, no, we... Uh, I think you don't answer, you don't ask the questions if obviously the results go the right way, but we have to avoid that because the results didn't go the right way. Um, I think yeah, you you leave it open ended to him, and but you've got a set of criteria that you want him to hit in a sense. 
Um, I think selection is particularly a hot point, obviously, um, because there's some clear, like you said, missed opportunities probably with players that are playing in the Premiership, tearing up in the Premiership who haven't featured yet for England or haven't featured for a while. Um, and there's some players who have remained in the side who probably haven't stayed in there warranted. Um, so I think that's something that needs to be reviewed and addressed. And I think it's one of those as well, you've got to come at it from complete objectivity and say, look, as much as you are reigning Nations Cup champions, Six Nations champions for at least another five days or so, um, and the recent World Cup finalists, whatever, um, we've got to do it from now until the future. It's not about what we've achieved in the past. We can't hold on to these players, say, look, they were part of the you know, best England side we've seen in a while. We can't hold on to that anymore. Um, and there needs to be a serious review, like they're going to do. Um, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. I'm kind of on the fence, really, with the way the decision goes, depending on what they do. But yeah, that's my, I guess, take on it, I guess. Um, I think, yeah, like it's just... I think it'd be different for England if there wasn't so many amazing players not getting a sniff. Yeah. Like, I, I, the, way, the way I relate it, in a sense, and this is from football terms... Um, ben Foster was on a podcast the other day which I've recently listened to and he spoke about the way the international dynamic is in football and you, as much as we don't want to believe it and we think it's a lot of like oh you play in the same league, you know them, your mates and all that stuff it's not like that Like you, there are cliques in a way just as there are at school or anything else You know, naturally you get it work but the cliques, the groups and sometimes the dynamic can control more than just you know, it can con- control the performance of the club control the performance of the national team in a sense. Um, so you might find that we need a rebuild in the sense that these clicks need to go. Or you might find that certain groups of players are maybe not as beneficial for the squad or a bit of a bad egg compared to what we're used to. And as much as there might be one or two players in that click that are warranted, is there more beneficial players sat in the premiership right now who could come through? I think as well, just in terms of your clicks and stuff, you know who they are. For me, George Ford's at the centre of that. You've seen Sam Burgess talking a podcast about how George Ford would, would would barely even speak to him because he was playing 12 for England, meaning Farrell was 10, and he wouldn't speak to him at Bath and stuff. Like, Ford, there's, there's no doubt he's a world-class player, and, well, there is an argument that he's not a world-class player because he's never been an alliance turn. Looks like he never will go an alliance turn, which, for me, can't put you in that elite category, even if he does get 100 caps, which we need to get the... We're going to have to get the history books out in there, Zach. Has any, anyone ever got 100 caps for their country and not been an alliance turn? That is a stat that needs looked up. Uh, I think that could genuinely happen and because he is like that. And you Vinopolas, Farrells, Satoji, it is a bit that Saracen click. You can't then get your extra boys in because of the clash, which is true. For me, it does need kind of a rebuild. And you just got to start with the obvious. Billy Vinopola should not have played the Six Nations. Not saying that Billy Vinopola isn't England's number eight going forward. He came into Six Nations with a lack of game time and Eddie continued to play in the whole Six Nations. Eddie should have just looked at Billy and gone, you're not fit enough to play in the Six Nations. You're not playing in the Six Nations and not played him. For me, that's where Eddie got it wrong. Eddie didn't have the balls to drop some of these players that were not match fit. And he could have easily come out and said, Vinopola's not match fit. He's not playing the Six Nations. And that would have put that to bed. And everyone's like, fair enough. That's probably a good call. Because he's playing against Elin Trailfinders, against Angie Kernahan in a warm-up game, and he wasn't even tearing it up. He was very undercooked. All the Saracens players were undercooked. 
Sean Maitland's just been dropped for Scotland. He's not in the squad. Like, they're, yeah, they're all decision. undercooked. Yeah. So you should not have played them. It's as simple as that. It isn't rocket science, but he has to stick with what he knows. And it's worrying for England because going forward, I think he'll continue to stick with these boys. Uh, and that's where, where I said earlier, what I said earlier about we need to forget about what's happened in recent achievements because that is with the Saracen boys as a well-oiled machine who've been playing week in, week out at the top level. But obviously with what's gone on in the English league system and with Saracens, that's, they're just not the same players, unfortunately. Um, and if it means a temporary fix or if it means permanent fix, something needs to be done. Um, another player outside of the Saracens click for me who... As much as he's probably a quality player and he obviously got in the side on some sort of merit, um, I don't think he fits this, side, this England side at the moment going forward, and that's Ollie Lawrence. As much as he's a, he probably is a really quality player and he's got certain qualities that are really good, time and time again against Ireland, as we saw against everyone else he's played, with, played against, it's, he's just so disconnected from the attack. And then even in his defence and everything, it just looks erratic. It just He looks like he's too deep. You know, he looks like he's he's in a bigger pond than he belongs, in a sense. And I don't know if that's just a lack of experience, or maybe he needs a bit more encouragement behind him, a bit of an arm around the shoulder type of type of coaching. Maybe that's the case. But in this tactic, in the moment, and the way England are operating, he just like looked out of place so many times. And I feel sorry for him. I genuinely do. But he was time and time again at the key point of some of the errors that we made going forward and defensively. And it just. It's really, really frustrating watching him come on time and time again, start for, you know, whatever. And, and then this be, this be the case. It's annoying. It's annoying. I'm going to say England, like there are a few out of crossroads here because the decision they make with this review really does impact the next two years because they either stick or they twist. You see, uh, yeah, at this point, you have to stick with Eddie and then see it through to the World Cup or... You don't. You have to. You have to sack him. You get someone else. Personally, I think they need to sack him. I think they need to get rid of him because he's not going to change. I like. He, I don't think he's going to change. You know, come the autumn internationals, I just don't think he's going to change. Um, I think he's going to stick with your Saracens click. He's going to stick with that Sari spine. He's going to um continue to play Ford Farrell. It just England have so much quality in the Premiership that they need a massive rebuild, and a part of that rebuild involves getting another coach. Who do you get? That's another question. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts, but you know the likes of your genuinely Marcus Smith players like that. Who you know he has over a thousand points for Quinns. He's twenty-two, um, and he's the top point scorer in the Premiership by a country mile. And yes, Harvey, you were saying before we came on that. You know, he is he is he going to be international proven? We don't know, but he has to be given the chance. They haven't even all these players haven't been given the chance because Eddie just sticks to what he knows, and then when it doesn't work, he can't go to anything else because nothing else has even been tried. I just think he's got to go. Or we just a just a final question, just to wrap it up. We don't want to dominate the whole pod on Ireland because it was another absolute cracker match to finish the Six Nations with that we need to get on to. Sports cycles. We love chatting about cycles in our living room there. Um, Saracens won multiple European Cups, multiple premierships, had a great golden era. The golden era ended um, because they obviously had the salary cap thing. And the era might have gone on. They might have won five or six European Cups, but they didn't. That era ended and they're now in the championship. They lost against, obviously, Cornish Pirates. 
In my opinion, that Saracens era of dominance is over. We're now in a new era of Exeter dominance and Exeter and Bristol even. Bristol yeah, starting Bristol to dominate. To so I think even when Saracens come up, they're not going to be at that level. They might be in the playoffs. They might win the all-premiership, but the dominance of that era is over. You've seen it with Munster, Zach, when they won a few European Cups yep. that dominate the Ireland side around 2009. Then you had Leinster dominance coming in now. I think we're at a stage where that era is over or are you going to disagree with me and say it's because they got relegated, these boys aren't done yet, that kind of Saracen spine will make it to the next World Cup and will lift England, the World Cup. I'm telling you now, the era is over. The era is not. The era is over, not in the way that you typically see it in sport, i.e. ageing players, players turn out of form. It was enforced. It's an era that I think has been put to a stop, not an era that's come out like stopped naturally. Um, I think it's a classic example. And this is something that I actually feel really strongly about in general society and everything that um, it's a classic example of trying to balance the weights. And what's happened is by balancing the weights, everyone's slowly sunk further down. You've not helped the top. You've just helped the bottom. Um, I think generally England as a rugby union have lowered because of it. Because ultimately, as much as we say they rely on the spine, the spine were there for a reason. They were the spine because they were the best players in England. That's why. Um, you've not helped any of them. Um, as much as this might come down to just a pitter patter between clubs, you, ultimately you've hurt the whole nation on a rugby level performance. That now enforces us to create a new cycle. And whoever that is that takes dominance, Exeter, Bristol, are clearly two contenders for that. Um, it, we're going to go through a transition. We have to, but it's been enforced. The point is, it's not a natural cycle that's come to an end because ultimately Saracens ended it, you know, pretty positively. I don't think any of those players, if they were fully match fit, still playing week in, week out in the Premiership would be at the level they're at. They look like they were at through that Six Nations. Um, we'll Spot go through on, a cycle. Man. We might have a new coach. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. Right, Hopefully it sorts itself out by 2023. You've hit the nail on the head there, and I think you're spot on. And I think when we get on the Lions previews and that whole pod's going to go to kind of doing our Lions team, and I think Gatlin has to be smart of this and realise you can't take a lot of them boys. Um, but moving on then to where you will take a lot of them, um, France and Wales for the Six Nations, everything's on the line. Zach, did Wales bottle the Grand Slam or are France unbelievable? Wales bottled it. I'm going to stay at it. I'm going to stay at it. That's it. Wales bottled it. France red card. Per game management. Even see it right at the end. Like, come on. Like, just giving away a penalty when you have the ball in like 78 and a half minutes. Like, come on. That's just, that's poor. Um, They bottled it. France with the red card. All of a sudden, Wales' discipline just goes down the drain. Partly because it took a red card for France to be like, oh, you know what? We're actually going to play rugby here and try and win, uh, which is, a, I guess, another discussion point. But yeah, Wales balled it, I think. I think, you know, and I felt for them. I did, you know, but they balled Honestly, it. heartbreaking. Imagine you're in that position, Zach, uh, for a slam and to concede especially, two, two tries not, in three minutes. Yeah, not just like a slam, but like off the back of their autumn and then having on for a slam you know like rags to riches story um if wales won it would have been something we talk about from years to come like how they could go from those performances in the autumn nations cup to winning a slam um but yeah a moment of kind of breakthrough in the 82nd minute and all of a sudden you know everything's on the 
table again. Lion selection's a big one. You'd like that. I think if Wales won, Alwyn Jones would have been bang on Lions captain, but they didn't. So then there's more questions around that. And it's funny, just it's just sport, in it, isn't it? Like just for me, that game just epitomizes just sport. How things can be so right and then just go absolutely wrong. <laughs> I think I think um, Wales just in general, brought it on themselves, didn't they? Like, I remember seeing the scrum, I think, with eight minutes to go. They were 10 points down. Um, and I haven't seen a side look so nervous when you've got a 10-point buffer with eight minutes to go. Like, it's you do just resort to the basics and you do just play out the game as Wales have done throughout this whole Six Nations. You know, we've seen an incredible level of maturity and discipline from them. And they kind of just brought it all upon themselves. As much as you see the 10-point gap... It would have been so much better for Wales if they'd have just almost not conceded the try easy, but not put up such of a fight, lost like two men to Simbins and a red card. And and then, you know, go forward from there with a five-point gap or a, a three-point gap or whatever it is and just go yeah. again from the halfway line. It was, it was it was a level of panic, I think, from Wales. And, they, they, and we spoke about it last week with a level of perspective, you know, Wales, where they were before the Six Nations, it's still incredible whatever happens from this point onwards. But... It's like they forgot that and just thought it's all about the slam. That's it. And yeah, look past the game before the game was even done. But they yeah, played brilliantly know. up until the 75th minute. They, uh, they were the best side against France up until to, obviously England, France was very tight, but wheels were, wheels were scoring points against them for fun. Like they put 30 points on France and Paris. That is exceptional. Yeah. Like it was, it was a great, it was a fantastic Welsh performance. Really strong, strong leadership from Win Jones and just Dan Bigger, Dan, Dan Bigger, Bigger as well. Of it. Like if Wales won, there'd be you'd have to ask. I reckon I don't. I think Dan Bigger would have been starting Lions then. Um, but yeah, then again, fine margins. But yeah, I think it, like I, I just felt for them, especially like Louis Rees-Samet, the try that never was. That was just. What a finish. Incredible. Do like, you think that's is... one of them that would have been showing in 50 years' time? Oh, yeah. I had to. Louis Rees-Amit's finish that no sealed doubt. the slam. Yeah. Breakthrough season. Win that's the slam that. for your country. That's like an iconic moment that he's not going to have now. And I know maybe we're jumping the gun here, but does this have an effect on Wales going forward? Will they be able to check it off? Um, I just we'll wait and see. They're all autumn internationals. We don't know, but you know, there's questions even over on that. But all credit to France, the ability to play really crap and then all of a sudden play well when you get a red card. You know, not many many teams can do that. You know, <laughs> like, I don't know if that's a positive or a negative for France, but to turn it around and to have the grit and the composure to get down and to. Because at that point, you know, you're 10 points down, well, five minutes to go. Like, fair play to France. You know, you got to give them credit at the same time. Yes, Wales bottled it, but grit and determination is there from France, you know. I thought Wales were actually outstanding until kind of the capitulation. And it was an absolute capitulation. It was, I haven't seen something like it. The discipline, like, I know Liam Williams getting a lot of online abuse and that should never happen, but. For him to get yellow carded, and I know we held up a few tries, but you just gotta sometimes take take the try. Like you're two you're two scores ahead, so you can afford to take the try rather than give yourself a yellow card and then they score and then another yellow card. They were too eager. They were probably too emotional, too invested in it, 
Um, and I don't know when Jones probably just needed to get them all in the huddle and say, just chill out, boys. Like, everyone's just flying in, trying to get these unbelievable turnovers. Everyone's lying on the wrong side. We just got to play the championship minutes to win the championship. Um, so they were probably two phases away, two, three drawn-out phases from just booting the ball out for touch, and that'd be that. And that's why I think you lack, closing maybe, off was just... you lack maybe a Conor Murray just to yes. chill out. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Because it goes by... Pod right, pod left. Yeah, the whole thing kind of depends on um, your boy. I don't know who went off his feet. I can't remember. Um, that was the penalty that Wales gave away when they had the ball in like the 78th minute. Yeah, when they sealed um, off. You know, and kind of like just like, oh, like you cannot give away a penalty in that position like that. Like that was per... And I think I think it links back to the scrum half. If you did have a Conor Murray in there, there's no way that pen happens. Conor Murray will be screaming at players, ensuring that, you know, there's five boys going into a rock securing the ball. Um, ach, yeah, but, you know, fair play to France, and it's all to play for on Friday. So, yeah, it's exciting. But it is, yeah. What can you do? It's all it's all up for grabs now. It certainly is. It's absolutely all up for grabs. And, yeah, it makes it exciting for this weekend. But at the same time, if Wales now win the championship, is it still the same? A lot of the players now are going to go back to their clubs. And, like, you like to lose Amazon. They're going to be playing the premiership this like, on Saturday. So on that Friday night, they're going to have to be getting ready for a game. Like, is it... Has it lost? Like, will there be any celebrations, really? Because they're going to leave the bubble. They're not going to be together. I, they might, also, they might be. Gloucester playing Friday night. So, Luis Fisama will be playing against Exeter Chiefs, <laughs> potentially. Oh, probably not. But, like, you'll be there watching it. Um, <laughs> you know, getting score updates from the sideline, you know. <laughs> That's what I mean. It just it has ruined it. Um, and they did. It has. Sim- simply bottled it. You, you can't put it anything down to other than a bottle job because they were near on perfect, Dan Bigger, Josh Adams, big game players were stepping up, scoring big tries. And yeah, just a capitulation. But fair play on the flip side to France, clinical. When it, when the, when it was on yeah. the line, they delivered was, yeah. big style, which is a sign of an unbelievable side. But okay, so yes and no, because my question is, it shouldn't have taken a red card for France to play some of the best the best rugby in the game. You, you, know, you know, like, is that the sign of a good side or is that the sign of a weak side? I don't know. I haven't made up my mind. What do you think? I France just are just, like, it's, it's, it's what weird, we've said man. from the start in the sense that France are just this weird team that are so hard to get your head around. They are, they're a moments team. Obviously, they create these moments of brilliance and sometimes they, what they do makes no sense. You see some of the lines and the runs that Teddy Tomar makes with the ball in his own 22, and you just think, what are you doing? But he ends up on the halfway line, and then you go, all right, lad, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> and that's to me, epitomizes just the French team in general. It's just so crazy, especially when ball's in hand. And you can't really put... I, I do. This is why I agree with you, Zach, in the sense that I think it was a bottle job from Wales, because ultimately they gave the key to France to go, look, lads, you go and win the game, because we're not up for it. Um, as much as France were incredible in the game, just as much as Wales were, it was one of those games where it was kind of just two heads knuckling together and you're waiting for one of them to give way. And it just happened to be that it was the Wales head that gave way. Because you can't exactly say that France were all piling on pressure when they were down to 14 men. Yeah. It's just, 
Yeah, I don't know. And then obviously France took their chance incredibly. Incredible try at the end. Brilliant. Um, but, yeah. here's, but here's my thing. 2023, unless they sort this out, unless they sort out their inconsistency, and, and New Zealand is not going to ball it, you know? Potentially, or South Africa is not going to ball it in a World Cup semi or World Cup final. Um, and just, I don't know, just over the past couple of weeks, it's just made me reconsider whether or not France are. No, they've always been potential. They've always been potential. And it's like everyone's saying by 2023 in their home stadium, they can do it. But there's no doubt that they have a red card and a, a complete collapse in them. In, but, some ways, in some ways, it's good for France because they're still clearly a side that's building they're clearly a side that still has to sort some kinks out in the chain um it's just for them whether or not they can sort them out it's still potential with france like you were saying they tell so it's it'll be interesting going forward just the way what happens with them you know and just going forward next week they oh, yeah, now <laughs> they now have a chance to win the six nations for the first time since 2010 they could write themselves in French rugby history. And that Brice Doulan try is going to be the try showing years upon years, not the Louis Rizama try, the Brice Doulan try at the death. And then, obviously, um, they go and score 21 points and four tries against Scotland. Do you think they'll do it, honestly? I think it's... I think it's the kind of game... I, it's, this is what I mean about France, though. You tell them to go score 21 points difference... They'll do it. You tell them to just go win a game, they'll probably struggle. They're the kind of team that you have to give them this super ambitious, overarching goal of saying, like, score two tries in eight minutes, like they like you did against Wales. That's the way France operate, in a way. I think if you give them this super, like I said, ambitious goal, they've got more of a chance of getting there. It's almost like it's just pressures off rugby. That's the way they like to play. And I feel like if they go out there and really do give it to Scotland, I, 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 I'm back in France. I'm honestly yeah, back in France. That's a really good point. That's a really good point, Harvey. I think you've actually hit the nail on the head. That's what France is like. You need to give them an exact specific target rather than kind of like an abstract, yeah, just go win. All you have to do is win because they'll struggle. But if you give them a really, that kind of goal, they'll really go for us. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, it's going to be, because it's it's France are out to prove themselves. Yeah, we do have what it takes. But then Scotland are always out to prove themselves too. You know, like I think everyone's disres- disrespecting Scotland a bit. Scotland seemed to find a bit of form last week, yeah. and they yeah. have game breakers everywhere. And I think they will. The way France are very open, all the teams have been scoring against France or from Ireland. Um, big scores like uh, England put twenty three on them. You know, there's there's points out there for Scotland. It's just will France score another? Like it's not like they're going to get nilled. I think Scotland will score a couple. It's just how many. Me personally, I think France will win, but I don't think France will win by enough. So I'm going for a Wales Six Nations win and then what a Zoom call in at Alwyn Jones's house with the trophy by himself. I don't know how it's going to work, <laughs> but that's my prediction. Don't know about you, Zach. I, to be honest, I'm really on the fence. I think Harvey's right in terms of France have a clear goal and where they're going to go. And I think. It's going to be a great game of rugby regardless, but there's just something about Gregor Townsend in Scotland that this is a this is an op, this is a platform for them as much as a platform for France to actually say, you know what, we beat England and didn't really follow up on it, but we still we're still on the right track too. Um, full strength Scottish squad, 
as well available. Finn Russell's back in at ten. Um, there's this is their last chance. You know, your man the Merver kind of does he really show up for the big games? You were saying that Harvey, like here's his chance to nail himself in the Lions squad. Hamish Watson, Richie Russell, Hog, like it's an ex- it's gonna be awesome. It's just gonna be it's gonna be a spectacle. I'm excited. Great, and we got an extra week. So, where are you going then, Zach? You kind of sat on the fence there. Harvey oh, said yeah. France had uh, France have done it. Give me. You know what? I'm gonna say France. France uh, win the Six Nations. That is gotten. I'm gonna win. say France. I think yeah, it's just Harvey's point. Just for me, just was like yeah, it makes sense. I think Dupont and Mac back at ten. I think that's gonna be key. You noticed um, him for that final try. He just kind of took he control. Really did. He did, and like he's a young guy, but my word, like he is just—he's probably he could maybe go. He's world class even now. Like, um, so I'll go France win. I think they'll do enough to win. It'll be tight. It'll be a wee bit awkward, probably around the ten minutes to go. Will Scotland? I could totally see it. You know, Scotland on their five meter line going for a try or something. And uh, that's the way it's going to end up. A couple of red cards thrown in too, no doubt. Um. So I, as I said in the last article there, um, it'd be great if it came down to the last play of the last game to win the championship, maybe. France do it again, score in the last minute, and then to converge and to win it, it's the post. Just, I want more. Maybe that's asking for too much, is it, after the drama from last week? But in terms of finishes, we had some finish, and 21 points is doable, which is why it's exciting this week. But I think Scotland will, will want to gain a bit more respect, and I think... It's actually going to be a tight enough game, and I don't think Scotland will win it, but I think it will be like within a score. So I think it might be a bit of an anticlimax and celebrations, even for Wales, anticlimax. I almost feel so sorry for Wales. They can't even celebrate when the Six Nations. It is sad, but we're in COVID. We're not in a perfect. I love world. the way you uh, felt sorry for them this year, and you were laughing at us last year for not being able to celebrate it. Yeah. I see how it is. I see how it is. You used to get the celebration. You were laughing at our celebration. They're going to be doing the same thing as what we were doing. No, you got a field. You got a field and a and a little tent and stuff. A few pints. That's great. Like they'll be doing that. March 29th, max six people allowed outside. They'll find little pods and stuff and do it. COVID's restricting. No, it's because they're all way back to clubs. You said about Zaman all playing on Friday night. It's funny, but see what teams are. You never know. They might get released and stuff because. Yeah, they might they, they deserve it, but I have to see what happens. France could easily ruin the day, and we love when parties are ruined. Another final, though, just quick prediction then, straight prediction. Another final, Pro 14 final as well this weekend. Monster Leinster, Ring Rose, James, James Ryan, a lot of injuries for Leinster. Um, might not be as full strength as Monster with, you know, your Carberries, your Damien Delendes. A lot of the chat is if Monster are going to win a trophy for the first time in a long time, it'll be this weekend. Do you use back that or are Leinster too good? For me, Leinster win because it's at the RDS. Um, but I'm I'm saying it could be a really good final. I think it's going to be quite tight, but I think Leinster squeak it. I think Leinster are going to put them away. Um, you also didn't ask my points, points prediction on the Scotland-France game. So I know I said France are going to get 21. I'm saying 38-12 on that. And then I'm saying 28-14 uh, Leinster on this one. Um. Guy Ringrose isn't playing for Leinster. I thought Johnny will play. I like to see Harry Byrne starting because I love him. Um, Harry Byrne v Joey Carberry. Now that's Mike Warren. Um, that's Andy Farrell. Better be at the RDS for that one. Uh, I'm going to go Monster win. 
Munster just seem to be on up the on the up at the moment. CJ Stander, last probably big game for him. Shout out to CJ as well, retiring. Um, I'm gonna go Munster win. Monster win. Nah, the CJ effect, especially doing out the RDS, would be. I think if this was a, a neutral ground, I think Monster would definitely win. But because it's at the RDS, it's just something. Tell me, Leinster won't lose there. They just, it's just Leinster like. Leo as well. Leo does respect the Pro 14 a lot. He usually plays his big side, so he'll he'll try and be as full strength as he can be. Like he'll have sex and stuff on the bench. But we're in for an absolute cracker um, of rugby on next week. But cheers, boys, for jumping on, and I'll catch you next time. Cheers. Cheers, man. Cheers. <laughs>